what I'm finding about softness is it requires a very deep and personal honesty. I have to be completely honest with myself. And I think we're really good at lying to ourselves. (laughs) We're really good at convincing ourselves of things. Like, this is why I should not exercise today. Or on the other hand, this is why I have to exercise today. It goes both ways. Mm -hmm. And even what we consider, quote unquote, good habits, I think can get in the way of us being really honest with ourselves about what our bodies need, about what we need about how we can treat ourselves. And so I've just been leaning in to softness and leaning into taking a weekday off Mm -hmm. or deciding that I'm gonna sit on the couch or going for a four hour walk because that's what I feel like I need. And it's lovely and beautiful and difficult and scary. Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. Welcome back. Today, I have a very special guest who I was connected to years ago and am so grateful to have her back in my AirPods as I've been listening, diving deep into her podcast. Her name is Kelly Covert. She's an author, speaker. She's an inner voice coach, which I think is the best kind of coach we can have out there. She has a passion for helping women listen to their inner voices and own their worthiness. She's the creator and host of In Her Voice, a podcast for women who want to live a filling life of purpose guided by their inner voice. And I cannot recommend enough to listen to this podcast. I, of course, will put it in the show notes. It's beautiful. She's just starting her fifth season. And Kelly is also a professional flutist with Symphoria, a professional orchestra, which is in central New York. She's a wife, mother of two boys, and of course, we cannot forget Piper, her beagle that is may even be joining us. Is Piper there with you today? I bet she'll come in at some point. I left the door open just yeah. in case. Yeah. Bozzy's in the other room too. He said this is a little early for him. So Same. he said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so welcome, Kelly. How are you? Megan, thank you so much for having me. I'm so good. We we decided to do this both with our early morning voices. Mm-hmm. What a lovely way to wake up to the day. I'm really excited to be here with you. Mm. I'm so excited to have you. This of all the conversations that I've now had in these podcasts, this is the one that I need most right now. And we will get into all of what that means as we go down this journey of wherever this may take us. But I would love to start with your childhood. What did your emotions look like for you as a child? Mm. Bring us way back. My parents 
divorced when I was two and it was not amicable. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I don't remember them being married. Like I don't remember them being together. And then they both remarried when I was three. And I do remember that, that, you know, like having step parents come into my life, but I was still really little. And, you know, when I think about my emotions in childhood, I think about not my own emotions, but managing my parents' emotions because they did not get along. And they both wittingly or unwittingly used me as a way to get to the other person. And so I was forever, you know, had my antennas out and up, like, how are they feeling? What can I do to make them feel better? What can I do to assure them that I love them? They would both ask me all the time, who do you love more? (laughs) Which, you know, note to all of a divorced parents out there, don't do that to your kids (laughs) Um, because it's really hard on the kids. And, you know, it's interesting to think about this in this, you know, as a 48-year-old now, you know, what it did for me as a child was made me very aware of everyone else's emotions, very aware of what everyone else was feeling. And that became the most important thing about emotions, not my own emotions, but like making sure everyone else was feeling okay. And I've had to work through a lot of that as an adult, like learning how to like step aside and not manage my loved one's emotions. But what it gave me was a deep, deep empathy. You know, I feel everyone's emotions and I'm sure that part of that is just who I am, but I was trained up in that skill from a very small child. And that's something now that I wouldn't want to not have. So I'm grateful for that. But also it it made many decades of my life a little complicated. <laughs> I think we so many of us can relate to that, that desire to control or to make everybody's experience around us better. Okay, I know what everyone is feeling around me. And so as adults, we've had to unlearn the same strategy that helped you survive. Yeah, that's exactly right. And not just unlearn it, because like I said, I think it's a valuable skill that Mm -hmm. I have. And it's something that I use in my personal life and in my work life and in my spiritual life. But learning how to use it correctly. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. I didn't throw it all out the window, but I had to start to begin to understand, oh, my tendency is to sense what's happening in the room and I want to manage it. I want to make it all good. I want to make everybody happy. And, you know, that's not my job. Even in my family, as a mother and a wife, that's not my job. Because when I do that, I take away my own kids' freedom to feel the feelings that they're feeling. Mm. And same with my husband. And, you know, those feelings aren't always good, but they're still theirs. And by taking them on myself, I'm not doing anybody any favors, including me. Yeah, that's so powerful. Thank you for clearing that up. We don't want to throw out the good parts of it, the parts of it, but finding the healthiest way to have it be a part of our life and it be a part of your sensitivity, a part of, I would say, probably a part of your superpower. 
I think so. And I think it was made even more powerful by recognizing that I can use it to feel deep empathy and compassion for people and to hold space and to let them know that they are safe with me, but I can't use it to control people. Mm. And I mean, wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But you know, that controlling is not healthy for anybody. And you know, it took me a while. It took me a while to figure that out. I think all through my 20s and 30s, that's really what I was unknowingly doing. I was trying to be in control of the whole situation. Mm -hmm. And that included how everyone was feeling. And that feels like the moment, a good intention. I just want everyone to be happy. I just want everyone to get along and to feel like they belong. But ultimately, it's it's not healthy. (laughs) And I know you've talked about this on your podcast. And it's been something that has definitely that I too have taken on. A a lot of my experience was also my dad died when I was five. So I became super hyper aware of what people were feeling around me and how it started to show up for me, even as early as middle school was through perfectionism. Can you share some of your journey of what perfectionism looked like for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would say, and it still looks a certain way for me, I consider myself a recovering perfectionist. So it's not something that I believe will ever fully go away. And just like the empathy, I can learn from it and I can take the good things from it and apply those in a way that helps me. But I can then let go of a lot of it. But for me, perfectionism was always about being good. I wanted everyone to think I was good. I wanted to be the best. And, you know, I look back, I've done a lot of digging, you know, when it comes to my family life as a child and my parents. And neither of my parents ever said to me, you have to be the best. You have to make straight A's. You have to do all of the things. They never said that. It was something that I did all on my own. And still, I don't fully understand the root of that. And as much as I would like to, I don't think it's necessary. You know, like I don't have to understand that to know the path that it took me down. And it was a path of chronic overachieving for the sake of feeling good about myself when I accomplished something. And the danger for me was every time I accomplished something and I was very good at accomplishing things, you know, it it came easy. Some perfectionism causes people to freeze and not do anything because they're afraid of failing. That is not what my perfectionism looks like. My perfectionism looks like going again and again and again to the plate, knowing that I'm going to hit a home run and still feeling compelled to do it every single time. And the minute that the home run is over, I have to get another one Mm -hmm. to feel good enough, to feel like I am worthy. And that's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting and it's not necessary. And for me, it was like a drug. Like as soon as the high from one accomplishment wore off, I needed another one. I needed another one. And it kept building for me. And I think the pinnacle of that, you know, really I call it an addiction came when I became a mother and my first son Brian was born in 2003. 
And from the very beginning of his life, he was challenging. He did not do what the book said he was going to do. He didn't respond to me the way I thought he would respond to me. And all of my strategies for success that I had used in the past, like reading all of the books and asking all of the questions and just trying harder and harder and harder did not work for me as a mother. And that felt like, oh, this is the thing that I'm not going to be able to figure out. Like motherhood is the thing that I'm not going to be able to figure out. The thing that like everybody can figure out, like Mm -hmm. that feels like it should be innate and natural. Like that's the thing. And I think that it really hit me like, oh my gosh, all this time I thought I was good enough, although I didn't really, you know, but I was just proving, proving, proving over and over again. And this is going to be the way that people really find out that I have no idea what I'm doing. I am not good enough. And that went on for several years. And when Ryan was five, we found out that he is on the autism spectrum, which explained a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this is why he doesn't act like typical kids, right? Because he's not. He His mind works in a different way. But it was just a, a huge challenge. And then all of a sudden, I had like this new fervor of like, oh, this is how I can tackle this problem. This is how I can be successful. I can figure out now how to be the mother of a special needs child. Mm. And I'll read all of these books and I'll ask all of these questions and I'll go to all of these therapists and all of these doctors and I'll figure it out. And it still wasn't working. And, you know, my mom was saying, you need to do this. And this person was saying, you need to do this. And none of it felt right. And, you know, one night, I still remember distinctly, I had a really bad day with Ryan and I had just gone to my room because I just like couldn't even be around him, which is a really bad feeling mm-hmm. as a mom. And I say that because I know that that is a common experience of motherhood. So for all of you moms listening, if you have felt that feeling, you are not alone and it's okay to feel that feelings. Like you said, we can give ourselves permission to feel what we want to feel, to feel the feelings that we have. So I had spent dinner in my room alone and my husband put Ryan to bed. And later that night, I just want to like be with my kid and not have it feel like a battle. And so I went and I laid down in his bed and he was asleep and I just was relaxing and my breath started like relaxing with him. And I just had this thought of like, if I can't love him exactly the way he is, Mm. And I can't love myself either and vice versa. Like I have to be willing to love myself where I am. I have to be willing to accept myself where I am and understand that I have everything I need to figure this out and that it's probably not going to look right to a lot of people. But as long as it feels right to me, that's going to be okay. And I feel like a, a real transformational moment in my life of like, be the starting point of truly loving myself and not having to prove myself over and over. I was never proving myself to other people. Mm-hmm. I was proving myself to me. And in that moment, I realized, oh, I don't have to do it like this anymore. And that was over a decade ago. And I'm still on the journey. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm still doing the work and I'm still practicing because I'm not perfect at it and I'm never going to be perfect at it. But that acceptance piece was huge for me. And that sort of was the beginning of me understanding what it means to truly be worthy. Mm. And it's not about doing, it's not about deeds or what you've done or certificates or accomplishments or promotions or how much money you have in your bank account. It's about you and you are worthy because you're here. And that was a an amazing lesson that my son was able to teach me. Thank you for sharing that beautiful story that I think so many of us can relate to about we're doing the best we can and loving ourselves through that process and recognizing what you and your family may need may look totally different than what somebody else may need. And by you learning to love him for who he was, you're also able to simultaneously love yourself for exactly who you are. That's exactly right. It was a really important lesson for me. And that's how I learned it. And I think that there are so many ways to learn that. Mm. You know, maybe someone is listening to this now and they think, oh, wow, I've never thought of it like that before. Mm -hmm. But it was a turning point for me away from feeling like I have to do all of the time. And instead, I can be. Yeah. And that's, it's a soft landing. It's a place to rest instead of push. And I think that's something that perfectionists like us, the chronic mm-hmm. overachieving kind, yep, can really me. appreciate, right? Like, oh, oh, I don't have to do something every single day. I don't have to be doing and busy all of the time. I can rest and I can take care of myself. And I'm still good enough when I do that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And as Brene Brown would say, I'm still worthy of love and belonging. That's exactly right. How does this connect with this relationship with your inner voice in that journey that you go down? Is this that moment? Is this one of many moments? What does that look like? And when you and describe what inner voice means to you. Mm-hmm. For me, inner voice is our deepest wisdom. It's our intuition. It's our guide. It's our God. You know, you can call it a lot of things. And I know people across many different avenues of life who call it different things. I believe it's all inner voice. And I've always had a very strong inner voice. I've always had very strong intuitive gifts that I feel like I've leaned into. I've always had very deep faith in what I know to be true. That was true even before I learned how to love myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think that in that moment in my in the bedroom, you know, with my son, it was my inner voice who showed me that I am worthy and that I can love myself right now, not after I do this, this, and this. And I'm so grateful for that. And I think when I realized what a change that made in me, and I'm I'm talking about it like it happened overnight. Let me be clear. It did not happen overnight, right? 
But as I like dug into that more and really started to understand what self-love really looks and feels like, I realized that my inner voice had been guiding me towards that all along. And that when I listened to that, instead of listening to the inner mean girl voice, mine is very mean and very loud, that I can experience life in a different way. You know, I can enjoy things. I can be in the moment. I can be goofy. You know why? Because I'm not worried about what other people think of me. Mm. I'm tapping into how I want to feel, not trying to make sure everyone else feels okay. And, you know, that to me was a super powerful way to start to understand how to listen to my inner voice, to start to turn the volume down on my inner mean girl voice and all of the exterior external shoulds. You should do this. This is the way it should look like. This is all of the stuff. I could turn that down and I could turn the volume up on my inner voice by practicing listening to it, by using certain tools like journaling, like meditation, like yoga, like walking, like being by myself, like sitting still, right? All of these things that I didn't do very much of before, that was a way to connect with my inner voice and turn the volume up. And I haven't figured out how to turn the inner mean girl voice off, Mm -hmm. but I can turn her way down. And when the volume pipes up again, I can have this perspective of like, oh, that is what that is. She's been around for a really long time. (laughs) She loves me in her own special way, but we need to turn it down. It's just, I just have so much more joy in my life living like that than always like worried about what is the next thing I have to do. Mm, That's so beautiful. We all have that voice and it's not gentle. It's not kind. I just had mine come up um, a couple days ago and it was like, okay, I'll let you have the first word. (laughs) Like I'll let you, I'll let you have your first (laughs) word, but it's the moment of, that's what self-compassion looks like for me is, okay, I hear that voice. And then I remind myself I had made a mistake. I had made a mistake like with my camera setting. I was on a photo shoot and I'd made a mistake and I hadn't made a mistake in such a long time, especially like that. And, And I could hear that mean girl come up and how I overcome it is through this practice of self-compassion, which is I remind myself that I'm human. I remind myself that everyone makes mistakes, that I'm not the only one, and that I don't need to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And almost always there's a solution for you know when we do make a mistake. It's just allowing ourselves the space to make a mistake. And I know you know because you have been doing podcasting for so long that if you want to overcome something, if you want to work on your perfectionism, just launch a podcast. Oh, it, yeah. It brought up so many layers for me <laughs> that I I had thought that I had worked through and launching a podcast just brought so much back to the surface. And I was like, oh, there you are, that old yeah. familiar friend. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. and it's I think it's so interesting how it's a cycle, and it, it will come back in new and um, maybe not so exciting ways. <laughs> that perfectionism, like it has a way of like circling back around. And I used to get frustrated by that. And now I just am sort of like, oh, here you are again. Yep. I must need to be doing a little bit of work here. 
and I accept it and I do the work, which means exactly what you say, reminding myself that mistakes are are not just like inevitable. I think they're essential. Yes. Because no one is perfect. And if we never made a mistake, it would be easy to think that we were perfect. And that's not going to do the world any good. Like nobody needs people walking around thinking that they're perfect because in that, and this was true for me when I was at the height of my perfectionism, I was so judgy. Mm. I judged everyone about everything, including myself. And I think part of me feels like maybe I allowed all the judginess of other people because I was so hard on myself too. And, you know, like, oh, well, I'm just as hard on so-and-so as I am on myself, or I'm harder on myself. That's probably more like it. Like, I just treat them the way I treat myself. Mm. And someone said to me, a coach actually said to me, you know, you don't have to mother yourself the way you were mothered. Mm. And I just was like, what do you mean mother myself? Like, what are you talking about? And she said, well, you know, think about how you mother your children. Like, would you talk to your kids the way you talk to yourself? And I was like, no, of course not. Of course I would never do that. And then it hit me. I was like, oh, of course I would never do that. Why? Because I love them deeply. Mm. And when I love myself deeply, also I treat myself kindly and with compassion and with love. And I brought up this idea of judging other people because that was a tool that I used and still use when it comes up for me for a very long time because when I would have a judgy thought about someone, I would immediately ask myself, what is it about you that reminds you of that person? Like you're judging them, but like what is it really about? And it was almost always something that I judged myself for. Almost always. And when I turned it back onto myself and saw that I was just really projecting out this judginess of my own self to other people. Number one, I stopped judging other people and started treating them with more compassion. And then I was able to do that for myself too. And, you know, I wasn't mean. I wasn't a mean person. All of this was just in my head. It was like all of these conversations all the time in my head. And when I started being more open and loving to myself, all of a sudden there's a lot of space in my head, good space, free space that wasn't dominated by, you know, harsh talk all of the time. And it was lovely. I like that space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's good to have space up there. And that, that really ties into where I want to go next, which is what this season that you just launched for your podcast is all about, softness. Mm hmm. What does softness mean to you? Well, I'll be honest, I'm still figuring it out. Good. We're, we're here for the conversation. Yeah. Softness for me in this time of my life is about, this is a funny way to put it, but I'm going to say it. It's about letting myself go. Mm. And we've all heard those words before. Oh, she's really let herself go. You know, and the implication is not nice, you know, when we hear those. But for me, letting myself go means being okay with being easy on myself as opposed to hard on myself. It's being okay with working less instead of working harder. It's being okay with 
not beating myself up. If I'm not performing at whatever level I think I should be performing at. It's about softer movement. I beat my body up for a really long time because I wanted it to look a certain way. And I had a lot of reasons for doing that. And I learned a lot from the years and years that I did that. And now my body is begging me to not do that. It wants a 10-minute walk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It wants a low-impact ride on my Peloton instead of the hit ride. It wants yoga that's all on the floor instead of power yoga. It wants two-pound weights instead of 35-pound weights. And I used to think that was making excuses, right? There is a line. I do think that, that we can make excuses and we can avoid doing things that our inner voice is asking us to do because we just don't want to do those things or we have a lot of reasons. But what I'm finding about softness is it requires a very deep and personal honesty. I have to be completely honest with myself. And I think we're really good at lying to ourselves. (laughs) We're really good at convincing ourselves of things. Like, this is why I should not exercise today. Or on the other hand, this is why I have to exercise today. It goes both ways. Mm -hmm. And even what we consider, quote unquote, good habits, I think can get in the way of us being really honest with ourselves about what our bodies need, about what we need, about how we can treat ourselves. And so I've just been leaning in to softness and leaning into taking a weekday off Mm -hmm. or deciding that I'm going to sit on the couch or going for a four-hour walk because that's what I feel like I need. And it's lovely and beautiful and difficult and scary. Mm. Because it's against the norm. It is. This is not the normal culture and the world that we live in. And as perfectionists who tend to run the overachiever route, I know I have experienced a triathlon. I know you did as well. And in Kundalini Yoga, we had these meditation practices that we would do the same meditation 40 days in a row. You miss day number 39, you're back at zero. And then we'd have 120-day practices. And then I was on the path for a thousand-day practice. And it was right before COVID. And I had been, I don't know, maybe a year into this thousand-day practice. And this was like, what hardness, what the opposite of the softness looked like to me was having the flu and being so sick in bed that I couldn't even sit up. I propped myself up like halfway with a pillow to do a 31-minute meditation while sick because I was on a streak. And that was more important than actually listening to my inner voice. And what I'm hearing you say about this is the most important part of this is the ability to trust yourself. Yes, because if we can't trust ourselves, who can we trust? We know ourselves better than anybody else. We have lived with ourselves longer than anybody. We intimately know how our brain works, how our hearts work. And 
you know, if we can't trust ourselves, we we have nothing, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I think that that trust is challenging in a world that says a streak of running for 800 days or meditating for a thousand days is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is a thing. Running is a good thing mm-hmm. if that's what you love. Meditating is a good thing. It's a wonderful tool. And sometimes you do need some structure to stay accountable to that. But when the structure begins to keep us from listening and keep us from trusting our own bodies and our own inner voice, that's a problem. And we're actually doing ourselves a huge disservice by not listening to that, yet like just wanting to get that thousandth day. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of um, this program called 75 Hard? No. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, tell us. Okay, so I'm going to say this with a caveat that probably there are some people listening who may have done this. Mm -hmm. And if they haven't done this, they'll think, oh, that sounds fun. And they'll go look it up. That's (laughs) not why I'm sharing this. (laughs) Disclaimer. (laughs) If that's still where you are, be honest with yourself and acknowledge that, right? Mm -hmm. But it's an exercise program and it's 75 days long and you have to do like two... 45 minute workouts a day and you have to read 10 pages a day. Like you have to do all of these things, like drink this much water, decide how you're going to eat and stick to that. And just like your meditation thing, if you miss a day, you go back to day one. And so the goal is to do 75 days. And even the name, it says 75 hard. (laughs) You know, we don't have to make it hard. It doesn't have to be hard. And when you truly trust yourself and are completely honest with yourself, Mm -hmm. you can give your body and your mind and your soul exactly what they need every single day. Will that be perfect? It's never going to be perfect. You will mess up. You will not get it right. And that's okay too. But when we can be soft in that, And even in the acknowledgement of the messing up, of the mistakes, of the making excuses on the days where you probably should have gone for the walk or should have whatever done the thing, right? And by should, I mean because your inner voice told you to. If we can be soft with ourselves instead of being hard, then that's how we learn. That's how we learn to trust it. If we're just like, oh, I just have to do this because I'm I'm on a streak, that's not learning. We're not learning anything. All we're learning is to be hard on ourselves. I saw this great quote. Do you know Adam Grant? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's amazing. And he has these best, like he makes these like the little features on social media. Oh, yeah. They're yeah, they're like memes. Exactly. They're always good. And I saw one the other day and he said, All that being hard on yourself does to you is leave bruises. Yes. And I was like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, like when you beat yourself up, that's what is left behind. Mm -hmm. There is not trust there. There is not learning. There's fear. Mm -hmm. And is that how we want to be living? I don't want to live like that. I want to live in trust, in excitement, in joy, and passion, and love. And all of that stems from how I treat myself. Yeah. Trust to me looks like my relationship with meditation is very different now. And if there is a day that I 
choose not to meditate, if I'm not feeling well, whatever that reason is, how I trust myself is I know tomorrow I will ask the same question. Is this what is for my highest and best? So mm-hmm. can you speak to, I mean, this this is new for me. This is new going into this more softer way of living. And there's a part of me that I don't ever want to be called lazy. I don't ever want to be, I don't ever, it's because I don't meditate today means I'm going to sit on the couch for a thousand days straight. Like that's the fear. That's the fear that if I don't go on a walk today that I will sit on my couch for a thousand days. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, if someone was to call me lazy, that would feel like death to me. And I, I think we just live in this society where we we rate our own worthiness by our level of productivity. 100%. And the L word, lazy, that's a doozy for me too. Like if someone thought I was lazy, oh my God, that would be, I don't even think I could handle it. Still, after doing all of this work, I'm almost 50 years old. Still, I'm afraid, I'm terrified someone's going to think I'm lazy. And yet, I am making room for understanding that what I'm doing, how I'm living my life, like you said, is not mainstream. This is not how most people live and that someone might think I'm lazy Mm -hmm. and someone might have that thought. And as long as I know that I'm not, that's okay. Yep. And you know, there's a fear, right? Like I'm never going to, never going to walk again. I'm never going to meditate again. If I don't do it today, if I break my streak, I'm all bets are off. I'm going to lay on the couch forever and do nothing. That is a fear. And it's a real, like we really feel it, but it's not actually accurate because for people like us, (laughs) we will continue to do things. And you can just look, you know, if you need proof, just look at your life. There's always a time that you took a break mm-hmm. and then you got up again and you started over. You did something new. You learned something new. You created something new. Again, that goes back to the trust. You have to trust it. You have to trust yourself. You, Megan, me, Kelly, we are not people who do nothing. Mm-hmm. We are people who do nothing sometimes with great purpose. It's and then Shavasana. we do something with great purpose. Yes. Yes. That's right? exactly you right. You can't and it's have essential. a yoga class without the relaxation, the integration at the end of class. So I used to do a lot of power yoga in my 30s, and I would leave during Shavasana. I uh. hated it so much. I hated it. I, I would try. I would yeah. lay there. I would, all I could hear, all I could do is like, listen to everybody else's noises. They're making so many noises. How can I possibly relax with 30 people in this room? Mm -hmm. Um, The music was terrible. Like the instructor was breathing in the microphone. This is so dumb. Why do I have to stop? And now sometimes that's all I do. Mm. Sometimes I just (sighs) lay on my yoga mat. Yeah. And just lay there. Mm -hmm. And that's what I crave more than anything. And I say this because if anybody can learn how to rest, <laughs> it was you. It was like, I needed it so much. And the fact that I learned how to do it mm-hmm. should be like, give everyone hope. <laughs> yeah. That it is possible and you're still going to do things. I took five months off of my podcast. 
mm-hmm. because I was feeling like I needed a break. And I was afraid. I was afraid I, that was it. Yep. I was afraid that I was never going to podcast again. And and when I was ready, I came back. Mm-hmm. Now I'm treating it sort of like maybe a podcast comes out every week. Maybe it doesn't. And I can trust that it will happen again. And if I decide that I no longer want to create a podcast, I'll create something different. Mm-hmm. And I can just be okay with that and trust it and know that I'm never going to be doing only nothing. You've got this, Megan. <laughs> I your, I would love you, to. Your Ugh. inner voice won't let you yeah. just lay on the couch forever. Exactly. And as I go deeper into this work of recognizing what the emotions are and not avoiding or suppressing them anymore. I mean, the reason I created this podcast was because I needed this podcast because I have been suppressing emotions. I have been not understanding what I was feeling. If someone asked me what I was feeling, I wouldn't know half the time what it was. So I'm in it, right? I'm doing this work. And Mm -hmm. yesterday was the most beautiful example in my life of softness. And I'm so grateful that I've been listening to your podcast because it truly helped to guide me through that moment. We, we've we been trying to conceive for many years now. We're almost, I think, yeah, just, I can't even say it. Just This December will be six years, six years of fertility treatments and just on this journey. And we thought we were pregnant for the last week or so. And I don't allow myself to go there because I've had my heart broken so many times on this journey. So the last time I allowed myself to believe I was pregnant was a year ago. So it's been a year since I've gone down that path. And it was so much fun. Like I was like, this is going to be Thanksgiving. We're going to announce it to our families. Like I was deep in it. Like I was visualizing it. I was feeling it. I was having all of these symptoms, I was in it like, this is happening. This is real. And yesterday morning, it was a Monday morning, and I found out I was not pregnant. I had a whole day planned. I had a podcast to record that needed to be into the editor by today, Tuesday. I had all of these things on my to-do list, and I just was crying in bed before my husband went to work. I, you know, he he was asking what I needed and I just needed a hug. And then I cuddled extra long with the puppy in the morning and allowed myself to feel. And then I just canceled my entire day. I canceled everything. I canceled the podcast. Yesterday was Halloween. I reached out to my sister who hosts a Halloween party every year with all of my beautiful nieces and nephews. And I said, I can't be there. This is where I'm at. I can't be there. And even though I didn't, that was me being soft with myself. And also what you're saying is so important as we learn to trust ourselves and be really honest with ourselves. So I asked myself, what would be best for me? Is it just laying in bed all day watching Netflix, which did happen for a good part of the day? But what I knew to be true was you need to go walk, go be in nature. And so I got the dog, went to my favorite hiking place, 
couldn't listen to anything. So that's a very different kind of walk for me is when I'm not listening to a podcast, not listening to music. I just walked, walked, and I walked longer than I anticipated. My first thought was, I'll go and I'm going to go the short route. Nope. I was like, once I was in it, I knew I, I needed more. And that made me feel a little bit better, a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And, and then the next part for me to go down when I'm in a moment like that is, okay, I just want to eat terrible foods. And, and so if I was not being honest with myself, which is what you were saying is important of this process, the process of softness only works if we can trust ourselves and if we can be honest. And the honest part was, stick with your food, stick with your healthy food. I made all, you know, three meals yesterday, healthy food begrudgingly when I just wanted to go and get a pizza, but that doesn't serve me. That makes me feel so sick. And when I'm already hurting so much emotionally, I can't add that on top. And so for Mm -hmm. me to be honest was that this is what being soft looked like for me. And then I reached out to you and you changed dates to help me be able to still make a deadline today, which I also was like, this may be the first time I do an episode a week later. And I was also okay with that. I was very Mm -hmm. much okay with that. And so that's what soft looked like for me, but it doesn't come without the trust. In the honesty. It, well, and it doesn't. What I think about that is I think about you spending that time with yourself yesterday and mothering yourself mm-hmm. the way you needed to be mothered yesterday is soft is also reciprocal. Mm, say more. When you're soft with yourself, others can be soft with you. Mm. Like you said you called your sister. And you allowed her to see your softness with yourself. And I'm sure she wasn't like, what do you mean you're not coming? (laughs) I couldn't even, I thought of making up a, you know, a lie, an excuse why I couldn't go. And it was just, I just was honest because I hadn't told anybody that we thought we were pregnant. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But like when we are soft with ourselves, we also then give other people permission to be soft with themselves and Mm -hmm. soft with us. It's like a circle. And I just think that's so beautiful. Like, what would our world look like if we all started being a little softer with each other? Mm -hmm. It would be different. It would feel different if we all started being a little softer with ourselves. I think when we learn that about ourselves, we can also learn that for other people where we might immediately react to someone who does something to us, maybe we can step back and say, oh, like, what are they going through right now? Mm -hmm. How can I be soft with them? Actually, I I knew when we decided to do this this morning that I was going to discover something new about softness. Mm. And I think that this is what it is, Mm. that it's reciprocal, that it's a give and take, that it's a cycle, that when we all participate in it, it's magnified and made even more lovely. Mm. And for me, it was just such an experience to feel my feelings. Mm. And not everyone has the opportunity to take an entire day off. But I think what you're also saying is this part of being reciprocal. Maybe if you did have a boss that you could share something with, 
that you could find that space. Maybe it's more in our heads that we can't create the space or take a half a day off or go for a walk in the middle of the day, whatever that looks like. For me, even the show, I I was watching that from scratch on Netflix, which I mean, holy cow, tearjerker. So that was giving me access to more tears that I was feeling. It was a way of releasing. Even what I was choosing to watch when I was watching TV was allowing me to feel. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever read this book. It's called The Untethered Soul. Oh, yes. You know this Mm -hmm. book? Yep. Mm -hmm. Love Um, it. Michael Singer. By Michael Singer. That's right. I knew it was Michael. I, I listened to that Walking in the Woods one, like during one summer a few years ago. and. I like intellectually knew what it meant to process your emotions, but that's when I really started to like get it. Like I had these aha moments of like, oh, (laughs) I have to actually feel the feeling all the way to the end of the feeling for it to be complete. And when I do that, my system releases it. If I don't do that, it stays inside of me. And so every time that I feel the beginning of that feeling or something triggers that feeling, I feel the same feeling again. And the thing is, the ironic part is we almost always do this with feelings we don't ever want to feel again. (laughs) And so by blocking the processing of that feeling, we're actually setting ourselves up to feel it over and over and over again, where we could just allow it and even if that means going to the bathroom at work or whatever is the thing, when we allow the emotion to process through our bodies completely, we're setting ourselves free of that, that specific one. You know, that's not to say if we're sad, we're never going to feel sad again, but we're never going to feel sad about that thing, Mm. that same exact thing. I think that that was a book for me that really magnified that. And it's so beautiful. It's like a meditation when you're, I listened to it. So it it was, I highly recommend for people who are listening. Mm. From my heart, I just deeply thank you for this conversation and for your podcast, for Mm. really helping me through this moment and allowing myself the space to be a little softer with Mm -hmm. myself. So thank you. Thank you for saying that. And it's encouraging to me too, because sometimes, and you know this, when you're creating something, whether it be a podcast or you're writing a book or you're creating art, you're doing it kind of in a vacuum. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, you podcast, I think, for the same reason that I do. And that's because I need it. Mm -hmm. I'm creating what I need for myself. And I put it out into the world, not knowing if this is something that will resonate with other people or if this is something that other people need. I suspect it's something other people need, but I don't really know. And so when you say that, it fuels my energy to keep doing it. And I say this too for everyone listening. When you hear Megan say something and you're like, yes, that's exactly what I needed, send her an email and let her know Mm. because that's what keeps us going a lot of times. Not that we need the affirmation to keep going or to prove to ourselves that it's good enough, but it's a reminder that what we're doing matters. Yes. And it's making a difference. And I truly believe in letting people know that. And sometimes immediately and sometimes very awkwardly. (laughs) 
you know, it's awkward to tell people that they mean something to you. It can be vulnerable. It can be scary, but it really is impactful for everyone that's involved. So thank you for sharing that. Mm. Thank you. Are you ready for some rapid fire? I'm ready when you are. All right. What is your favorite book? This was so hard for me. (laughs) By the the way, I'm not going to rapid fire. I'm not going to answer these rapidly. Nobody does. (laughs) I read all the time. I read hundreds of books a year. And some of them are very meaningful and some of them aren't. And I love every single one of them. I just Mm -hmm. love them. And I love personal development and I love fiction and I love fantasy and I love romance. I mean, you name it. There's hardly ever a book that I don't enjoy. So I was like, how could I possibly pick my favorite book? So since this podcast is a lot about feeling, I'll share two books that when I read them, I loved the way they made me feel Mm, so much that I did not want them to end. And one of them is A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls. It's beautiful. These are both fiction, by the way. And I don't even know why I love it so much. It oh. just made me feel, I just loved the way I felt when I was reading it. And the other one is The Storied Life of A.J. Fickrey. And honestly, I can't remember the name of the author off the top of my head. But the same thing, I've read it now twice and it's short and it's lovely, and it's sad, and heartbreaking, and beautiful, and I just loved it. Mm. I'm adding those to the list. You should. They're Mm. so good. (laughs) What are you currently reading? I am currently reading a book that I think is going to be in my sort of top five of all time, and it is Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. I just, I have it right here. I just got it. Yeah. Oh, I'm listening to it. By the way, Mm -hmm. I mostly only read, but when I'm walking and driving, I like to listen and I read digital. I couldn't get it from the library digital, but I could get it audio. So I was like, oh, just listen to it. It Mm -hmm. is like a living meditation to listen to. I highly recommend listening, but it is so beautiful Mm -hmm. and so powerful and I just love it so much. And Robin Wall Kimmerer, who's the author, she actually lives in central New York, which I did not know that it's my until dream I started to listening. Get her on a podcast. Oh my gosh. It's my dream. Right? Yeah. I thought that too. <laughs> I thought that too. But it is like this interesting mix of science and indigenous wisdom and poetry mm. and the most beautiful prose that I've ever listen to in my entire life. It's gorgeous. It's going to be something that I revisit many, many times. You are the third or fourth interview that I've had that has said that book. So so that's why I had to get it. Yeah. It's so good. You'll love it. We'll have Mm. to have a book club. When you start reading it, let me know. We'll go for a walk and talk about it. (laughs) What is one thing you know for sure? I know for sure that I am worthy Mm. and that you are worthy. Thank you. And do you have a favorite quote, poem, something you want to leave us with? I love quotes. Again, could I ever pick a favorite? Nope. So I last night I went through some Brene Brown quotes because mm-hmm. I know you love Brene. I do too. And her work changed my life. And so I thought this was something worth sharing today. Mm-hmm. 
True belonging is the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in both being a part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. Mm. I love that. Oh, thank you, Kelly. If you want to see more, hear more of Kelly, you can visit her website, kellycovert.com. That's C-O-V-E-R-T. Her Instagram is at Kelly J. Covert. And her podcast is beautiful. And I say, please go listen to it. Her podcast is on all of the places in her voice, Kelly Covert. So thank you, Kelly, so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks, Megan. This has been a true joy this morning. Thank you so much for tuning into the episode, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you're ready to dive deeper into your own emotional expedition, I invite you to join me in an intimate eight-week virtual book study of Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. And in case you're not quite ready to join the study, I wanted to share a free offering that I often suggest to people as a little bit of a compass to get them started on their emotional journey, the meditation to alleviate stress. You can find the meditation and the book study linked below. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you're sure to never miss a single episode. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's Voices Amplified.